Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. This week on Accent of Women, the issue of early enforced marriage in Australia. According to Human Rights Watch, 14 million girls are married worldwide each year, with some as young as eight or nine. While early enforced marriage appears most prevalent in countries of Africa, Asia and the Middle East, several recent cases have shown Australia is not immune to the practice. On the 8th of March in 2013, yep, that's International Women's Day, federal legislation passed to specifically outlaw the practice. The amendment created the new offence relating to slavery and slave-like practices, including forced marriage. Under the Act, a marriage is a forced marriage if, because of the use of coercion, threat or deception, one party entered into the marriage without freely and fully consenting. But it's not as feminist as it sounds. These laws have come at a time when Australia's anti-immigration policies are actively preventing Australian refugees and other Australian migrants from sponsoring or assisting other family members from getting here. Forcing people in communities to marry their relatives overseas sometimes seems like the only option to get them here. I spoke with Gabrielle Fakhri from the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights about the practice of forced and early marriage and the impact the new laws are having in the community. Gabby starts here by introducing herself and her background. My name is Gabrielle Fakhri and I work for the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights as a cultural consultant. I've been working with newly arrived migrants and refugees for over 38 years as a um, bilingual worker working in family and children's services, doing casework, um, capacity building um, and social work, just to name a few of my positions. So tell me, what is forced marriage? Why is that even an issue that we're talking about? Well, forced marriage has become a very big issue. It's been around for a long time, but it's only sort of come to the notice in the last few years of the government. And it means that um, young girls and boys are being forced are being forced into marriages for a variety of reasons, usually by their parents and by their circumstances. So um, recently, or well, 2013, it became illegal for there to be an early enforced marriage in Australia. So... That's why we're doing this a lot of emphasis on early enforced marriage because of the new law and because of the fact, for example, in our organisation, it's something that we've always been advocating for as an end to these kinds of marriages. So exactly what circumstances would give rise to a forced marriage? I mean, when you say that, I immediately think of child brides, for example, but can adults be pushed into forced marriages? I'll give you two examples of the extreme. So we have, and these are examples from our, taken from our work. So you'll have a a young girl of a um, newly arrived family where the families have come out of a refugee camp. Um, and the family know uh, that it's very, it'd be impossible to bring their extended family here to Australia under our new border protection and our new laws. It takes many years. So there'll be a 14 to 16-year-old girl, who, or even an 18-year-old girl, over 18, let's assume she's over 18, who's told that if she does not sponsor her cousin, her relative, out of a refugee camp or out of a country that's at war, 
that the whole family may die and all that burden will be put on her. So she has, she's encouraged and forced to make the decision that she needs to sponsor that and, and it works with men as well, so it's not just girls, it's also young men as well. They need to sponsor, and it's usually a relative, in order to save their lives. So the, the young girl or the young boy does not want to marry this particular person, but there's family pressure on them to do so. So obviously I'm not in support of forced marriage, but it does sound like the circumstances that you've talked about arise because the government has such repressive and regressive migration policies. Well, it does. It does in many of the cases. And for many of the, the new, because I work with newly arrived refugees, and many of them um, are quite distressed that they cannot bring extended family members to the safety of Australia. And by, by um, marrying off their children, this is what, to, to some of their relatives overseas, that's one of the ways that they can do it. But that's, that's, just an, that's not the only way. There are many people, for example, um, I'm Lebanese, and, and for many years in my community, if you have a daughter who is a bit, you know, going off, just a normal teenage daughter, and you think, oh, she's getting, uh, going out with Australian boys, or I'm a bit worried about her behaviour, or if you had a son who's on drugs, what do we do? we go and get him a wife because getting him a wife from overseas is going to, and this, I'm being sarcastic here, uh, getting him a young, innocent young girl from overseas and forcing him to marry her is going to cure his drug problem. Well, we know that doesn't happen. I can quote you at least 15 to 20 cases in my own personal caseload where young boys on drugs here in Australia were forced to marry young girls from overseas and uh, thinking their parents thinking that this would solve the problem of their drug taking. All it did was bring young girls here to domestic violence, to slavery, and eventually to women's refuges. Uh, that's in my, my, my caseload. The young man does not want to get married. Having a wife is not going to get him off the drugs. And the young girl that they've sponsored to marry this um, young man here had no idea what she was coming into. I mean, I find it fascinating because I come from an Egyptian background and actually when I when I came out to my mother as a lesbian her first response was I should marry one no, of my cousins absolutely it, it, whenever there's an issue with young men and women get him a husband marry them off get him a wife that will solve the problem and we and you would know Giselle that does not solve the problem it only makes a bigger problem but then I have another case let me give you another example I have a 45 year old single woman professional woman who came to Australia on holiday gets a phone call urgent from her parents saying that um, she needs to come back because they've arranged for her to marry this widow who has widower with three children because they fear that they're going to die, she's going to be left alone. So they've arranged the marriage in her absence and she needs to come back and get married. This 45-year-old professional woman has no intention of getting married and actually claimed, we managed to claim asylum for her here in Australia because of the pressure of her parents of forcing her at 45 into a marriage she didn't want. Tell me about the the new laws. So the laws that have come in in 2013, what can happen to people if they are convicted or, or charged even with um, some okay. of the offences related to okay. forced marriage? So, so that law that came in in March 2013 um, criminalised forced marriage in Australia. So it includes parents of the victims, it includes marriage celebrants, including... Um, religious, so any, an imam or a um, Jewish or other marriage celebrant, so not necessarily a civil celebrant, celebrant, 
could face up to seven years in prison if they knew that the person they were marrying was being forced into this marriage. And up to 25 years in prison if a child is taken overseas for forced marriage. So um, I'll give you an, I'd like to give you a case scenario. So I was in a country town and I was about to give a talk around early marriage to a group of, of, of young women in a high school. And the teacher said to us, a little bit concerned because all these um, 40 or 15 to 16 year olds were suddenly going overseas in the holidays. And they'd heard the girls talking that they were all going to get married. So the school asked us to come into the school, and they also involved the federal police, coming into the school and talking about even overseas, if a girl is underage, she cannot be married underage overseas as well and come back to Australia. What happened, by the time I went to the school to do the talk, these eight girls had already left for overseas. They were all under 18. They were all 16 and under. None of them, and in the last year, two years, none of these girls have returned to Australia because the parents know the new law. These girls are married in, a, in a, another country and are now waiting till the age of 18 where they will be legal in marriage and be able to come back and sponsor those husbands. So it, it, it's very difficult to enforce this law. We talk to parents, we talk to young girls in schools, and we actually get criticised by some of the parents and some of the young girls saying to us, you know, you've got no right to tell us at what age we can get married. If we want to get married at 15, that's our right. So it's a very difficult program to enforce and to and to inform the community about. Well, I, I, do you also feel a little bit conflicted about it? Because firstly, on the one hand, you've got the rights of young people um, to to be fully self-expressed in relation to love and sexuality and romance and all of those things. At the same time, it almost sounds like the government policy is uh, another way to express its anti-immigration politics. Well, so, that's an interesting way of looking at it, actually. It's not just about overseas, though, Giselle. You have to remember that people are... Uh, well, the government has made a... Uh, a statement that um, young girls and young boys under the age of 18, however, you can, under the Marriage Act, as you know, you can marry under 18. If you have both um, full consent, free and full consent, if you have parents' permission, and if you have gone before a magistrate, you can marry um, between 16 and 17. So if, with all of those things in place, anyone in Australia can marry under 18, under the Marriage Act. What this is saying is that there are young girls who, who are not at an age to have full and free consent. They feel that young girls, particularly under the age of 16, are not giving full and free consent because they are at an age of development where they cannot do that. Now, my grandmother married at 12. <laughs> I have to be honest, my grandmother married at the age of 12 and had my father at the age of 14. Many of the communities that I work with, newly arrived Muslim communities, most of those women have married between the age of 12 and 15. Um, a lot of them have complained about that in Australia. They did not marry in Australia, obviously. They've come to Australia. And now some of them are saying to us, we were way too young. We were babies. We didn't know what we were doing. However, what amazes me and upsets me sometimes, they are now wanting their daughters to marry at such an early age. So even though they have complained to us, and I've gone to the groups for two years, so it's not like it's a, I haven't built up trust with these women, many of them are saying, but 
this is our culture, our tradition. Even though I suffered, I'm happy for my daughter to marry at such a young age as well. So I, I get very conflicted around the law, around the culture, around fa what the families would like for their daughters and their young men. So you're right, it, is, it can be difficult. But there are certain circumstances where, and we do have cases already in Australia, where young girls under the age of 16 are encouraged to marry much older men, and that is just not uh, within the law at all. I mean, you've really opened my eyes to something I didn't think was that big a problem, even though I shared with you that example of, you know, when I came out, my mother's immediate reaction was marry your cousin and bring him over from Egypt. Yes, that um, solve your, your, your sexuality. <laughs> and, that, and that's another reason. That is another. We have many young men who have come out as gay and have been forced to marry women here to get rid of the gayness. This is this is huge, and particularly in our Muslim community, as you know, or you may not know, you know, we, there there is not a, I mean, I don't want to talk about it, but there is not an acceptance of of um, uh, same sex uh, partners or uh, homosexuality. So to cure homosexuality, you get them a husband or a wife. Um, it's it's quite common, and that's a forced marriage. At no matter what age it is, that's forced. Well, actually, I want to ask you how common is it? I mean, you've shared some case examples from the work that you're doing at the at the centre, but do do you have some broader statistics? How often is this coming up as an issue? Um, I can't. The, the, the problem is there is no data, no um, national data about about what's happening. But there are. We have a. Um, an early enforced marriage network where agencies that have these issues, um, domestic violence agencies, Red Cross, um, Centre for Multicultural Youth, In Touch, which is a, a domestic violence um, uh, uh, multicultural agency, ourselves and several other agencies have casework. We have cases where this is, this, these have come to us. I think we've had 15 cases at our, at our own organisation in the last couple of years. And they're not easy to deal with. Because what do we do? A young girl comes to us or she goes to the airport. She's about to go on a plane. She sees a policeman and she runs up and said, look, my parents are forcing me to go overseas to marry. My, to marry. I don't want to go help. This is, what, this, is, this is a typical scenario that the Australian Federal Police have. So the police grab the girl at the airport or she's been on a passport watch. Um, she's actually said, somebody has said this girl is going to get married against her will. This is her name. And she's been on a, a passport watch at the airport. So she's ended up at the airport and the police have taken her away because she's uh, um, been... Someone has notified them that she does not want to leave the country to get married. But what do we do with this young girl? That's the problem. We take this young girl and we put her in some emergency accommodation. We give her counselling. Um, this girl has never left her family. Maybe her English is not very good. Suddenly she's living in a motel. She's got no support, nobody around her, no family, isolated from her community. What does she do after three weeks, four weeks in this situation? She wants to go home. She wants to go back to her family. She has got... She realises, or many of them realise, that they cannot live on their own. They're not... They haven't had this experience of being on their own, living on their own, trying to find a job, trying to find their own accommodation. So the easy way out is to actually go back home. I had a woman, and I know we're not, we're not talking about domestic violence, but it's, I'll give you a typical case. I had a woman who was beaten so much 
that her neighbour rang the police. The woman did not ring the police. The neighbour said, this woman is being beaten every night. You must come and see what's happening. The police came in and found the woman bleeding on the floor, took the husband away, did an, did an intervention order. After three days, this woman who does not speak English, does not drive, had, did not have access to any money, her husband controlled all the money, could not take her children to school, could not go out and buy food, actually rang her husband to actually come back home knowing that she would be beaten, especially because she had let him leave the home, but knowing that she needed him for her children and her to eat and survive. That is not a story, a made-up story. This is a typical case with newly arrived refugee families. So what? And it's tragic. It is tragic, but what is the response? How are you dealing with that? But or not you personally? But how are well, we? Well, we, 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 we are struggling. We are struggling to find appropriate accommodation, appropriate supports that will support that mother and her children. Give her so what we have to do is almost take her by the hand, get her to Centrelink, get her to have her... She, her husband has not given her access to any Centrelink payment, even though it may be in her name. She personally does not have access to it. In many cases, there's financial abuse of women. Get her to have money, get her to understand the system, tell her how to take her children to school. It's time-intensive work um, that many organisations do not are not funded to do. It well, is a very hard situation, and well, many bilingual workers in the community complain that they have the cases but they don't have the solutions. Let me ask you though, if we're starting to prosecute these people, what happens? So you, you've just taken the person out of the household who knows how to do the shopping, manage the finances, yep. etc. So what, what are the consequences when we're prosecuting these individuals and they're removed and potentially imprisoned? Well, it hasn't got to that stage. We haven't had people imprisoned yet because the wife has to consent to, to the court case and many women do not consent to, to, to make it further than an intervention order. And that's the problem. The women are too scared to take it to that next step. I mean, there are, and there are agencies that are assisting women to go to court and, and in touch is one of the agencies that are very good at doing this. And there are many cases that they have gone to court, but that woman who is left behind needs a lot of resources in order for her to cope with her life. And that's what's missing. Now, people talk about all the money they're putting into domestic violence and family violence, but I want to see it on the ground with some of these women who are suffering. I want to see where the money is actually going to help these women cope on the ground. So you're currently working on some education programs to inform and educate the community about these new laws and the yes, fact that are. how are the how, what's the reception you're getting? You've already said some people are very critical because of that cultural relative argument that you mentioned before. And but, they feel that the government, many, some of our, and I'm talking not just Muslim, I also do it to Christian groups as well. We work across, I might have a group of mixed Muslim and Christian women because in our agency, even though we're a Muslim women's agency, if I go to a woman's, for example, an Iraqi women's group that has Muslim and Christian women, I will talk to the group. And even some of our Christian women from Iraq are saying to us, but, you know, we want our daughters to marry at 16. This is what we do. Um, and the girls are happy to marry at 16. What's wrong with that? And I say, look, you can marry your daughter at 16, but you need a court order. You need to actually go to a magistrate and get a permission for that girl to get married. And we're talking to religious leaders from different religious groups who marry aside from the civil marriages who may do a islamic marriage or a i'm not i will not talk about the jewish but an islamic marriage where um they need to be more aware 
of the circumstances if the girl is there of her own free will and what age that girl is with the marriage. Because we, have, we only have one test case that happened in Sydney where the 12-year-old girl, with the permission of her parents, was married to a 25-year-old man. Now, that, the man has been jailed, the father has been jailed, the imam who married them, who knew the age of the girl, was fined, I think, something like $600, which was crap. He knew that girl was only 12. But that was our only test case that we have so far that has actually gone to court. Wow, so one prosecution on these so far. Yeah, that's all. Lots of, um, lots of cases. Both here, I work in New South Wales as well, and so lots of, they've had young girls as young as nine as, uh, among their caseload. Um, here, in, here in Victoria, we, it's very difficult to know how many cases because sometimes each agency may have that same client. A, a client may present to, the, to an agency and because she's a Muslim young girl, they may also refer her to us to do the work. So, so both of us may claim her as a client. So that's one, one girl who's been um, claimed by three agencies as having, that, having a client, which makes it three clients, but it may actually be one. So that our, our stats are not keeping up with exactly what's happening. So from a campaign perspective, what, I mean, for those genuinely left-wing people who grapple with the issues of cultural relativism and race and racism and the government's immigration policies, what what position would people take on this issue (laughs) and what side would they be fighting on? That's a very difficult question you've asked me. Um, We talk about this in public, so we, 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 we do this campaign twofold. We talk about early enforced marriage to service providers. So we go out and we have large numbers of social workers, hospital workers, community workers come and we talk about the issues, about what's happening, um, how we can stop it, um, and the reasons why these are happening. And we do whole day sessions around this. And then we talk to communities. Most of our slack actually comes from the communities themselves, believe it or not where communities will say to us, you know, how, how much interference can, can a government have in our, in our lifestyle? You know, one of the first things that refugee families find out when they come to Australia from all different backgrounds is that in Australia the government has the power to remove your children from you if they think there is neglect or abuse of your children. And that information goes like wildfire through a community because there are not many countries in the world, only a few Western countries that have child protection laws like we do here in Australia. So that's one of the issues that that we have in in, in my 38 to 40 years is something that I have pushed on families around uh, the law because many people don't know the law until they get that tap on the door where a policeman or somebody from DHS uh, as a complaint has been made that the children are being left alone at home at night or they're outside late at night playing on their own and um, where are the parents? So a lot of that law, a lot of the information is not given to families. Many families now do not get information upon arrival, especially if they're not going to English classes. Many of our newly arrived refugees are so traumatised that they do not go to English classes. So unless there are organisations such as ours that go out to schools and speak to the parents that go out to community centres, that go to community functions and talk to people, people don't get information. I go on the radio in different language because a lot of men um, 
listen to ethnic radio, Arabic, Dari, Turkish, Farsi, while they're driving, either taxis or cars. So often it's the only way we can actually get information to men is through radio programs. And for many women who don't go to any organised group, they don't get this information. They don't hear about a lot of the laws in Australia. And that's one of the issues that we have, we worry about. And that's why our, we're a small organisation and every day, every day, all of our workers are running four or five groups around Victoria. I go to Bendigo, I go to Shepparton, I go to Swan Hill, I go to Geelong, I go to Mildura every month where there are newly arrived refugees, making sure that all of these laws and all of the implications of these laws are known to the women in those regions. Well, this has been an absolutely fascinating and informative conversation. Um, Gabby, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your knowledge and your experience with me. Thank you, Giselle, very much. That was Gabrielle Fakhri from the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights speaking about the practice of early and forced marriage. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. And that's the digit three, not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.